Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Boogaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, Steve and I cover the spoils of war. We're more than halfway through Season 7, and Steve absolutely loved this episode. This was one of his favorites. This is where Danny and John have a little chat in the cave, and Littlefinger and Bran have a conversation. Arya returns to Winterfell at last. This is also the episode... Where Danny plus Drogon plus Dothraki attack the wagon train. The scorpion is revealed, and Jamie in full armor sinks to the bottom of the river. Okay, without further ado, here is comic Steve Osborne. That's a pretty great episode, man. It is real good. It's a really good episode. And I remember like I remember being impressed because of the way it ends, you know, Danny attacking, I just, with Drogon, the Dothraki, that scene was just fantastic. And it kind of overshadowed my memory of how great of an Arya episode this was. Like, everything going on at Winterfell was super awesome. Right. And so it was sort of like the awesomeness of Danny attacking the convoy really eclipsed my memory of really how great the rest of the episode was. Mm. Um, so the rewatch, uh, like you had, you had told me ahead of time that you were watching a little ahead of me and you were like, that's pretty, a pretty fantastic episode. Yeah. And so I thought, Oh, I remember it being kind of a cool little, little set piece, but I really don't think I remembered how awesome this one was. Well, and there's, there's so much, going on and i i just i uh i i am a, a fan of the idea that um king's landing is broke yeah you know and i just think that that's such a cool <laughs> well, and we've like, known that for a while i mean we've known right. that since i don't know season one really when ned comes and finds out that king's landing's broke yeah and i but i just love the idea that that's that, that that matters in the story yeah that's right i mean because it would matter and and it's so easy to uh to to get caught up in all the other stuff and then that becomes so like grounded in reality that it's kind of it's kind of a necessary grounding in reality because there's so much magic going on now right i mean compared to when we first stepped in um we've just gotten used to dragons we've gotten used to the undead and resurrections and smoke mm -hmm. babies and and necromancers and all this stuff right we're just used to it now mm -hmm. so the idea that they're like ah, we're out of money <laughs> it just it kind of brings you back <laughs> right i mean it, it's just really basic stuff well because in a way like that's life right we we, we yeah. try to fill our lives with what we consider magic mm -hmm. um uh, but there's a price <laughs> and so here we are and White claws that, ain't free, baby. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where, like I said before, this show does is really sort of complicated and intricate. And at times, it can just really play with some very basic real-life stuff. Like, why don't we eat people? Like, <laughs> things like that. Like, what happens when you do run out of money? Or what happens if you know, the queen's an alcoholic? Or whatever it is. It's like basic real world stuff that makes you think ah, it's actually kind of complicated if if you run out of <laughs> you run yeah out of money <laughs> you're trying to wage war without money that's a problem and uh and so they're just trying to get the money they're trying to get the money from high garden to king's landing right which is such a like a and which is again when you look at the whole scheme of everything and this is where the Tyrion, you know um 
like, yeah, it seemed like maybe he miscalculated, but he also didn't, you know, it, which is interesting because he was, he was in charge of the money. Right. So well, what he learned from Littlefinger was you just put the numbers on the page and everyone's pretty much happy. Right. And then you just keep borrowing from other people. Which has kind of come due this episode. It's like Cersei's finally like, I'm going to need another loan, but I don't pay off the old loan. <laughs> it's right. like, it could be really boring stuff. It, it absolutely could be really boring stuff. Uh, but they, they play it up pretty well. Yeah, no, they did that really well. And so, and, and it's it's kind of nice because there's a lot of... Um, it, it feels like it, we're in the middle of like kind of a prize fight right now, right? In in a certain way, right? Like because like uh, the Lannisters, the King's Landing thing has been a little bit more rope a dope right now. You know, hey, no, no, don't take Castle Rock, and so all the energy starts going to Castle Rock. You know, the, but then all of a sudden, in comes you know, Danny and company, prove that they're they're, they're heavyweights, and so it's like, all right, well, that's right. Rope a dope's a great way to put this because what's happening here is that. Cersei doesn't have the firepower, right? She, mm-hmm. if Danny wanted to take King's Landing, and everyone has said it like you know ten times this episode, she could just take King's Landing. But in order to do that, she's going to have to burn the place down. And on the she's got the army, she's got all the firepower, and then Cersei's like, you know, I really need another army. So Danny's basically giving her time to go buy this golden company army and she's got to you know she's got to get the money she's got to get the loan then she's got to ship the army from across the sea this all takes time and all of danny's advisors are saying wait 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 right right um and then i suppose she's she's kind of done waiting (laughs) yeah well and that's you know that's that's lady olena's advice right and that's that's sort of a direct Hi, all right. I'm glad you mentioned Lady Olena's advice because we didn't talk about this yet. But does Danny want Lady Lady Olena's advice? By her own admission, Lady Olena is basically a revenge monster, or at least sure. she was right up until she dies. Sure, sure. All she cares, she I don't think she really cares about Danny. I don't really think she cares about anything. I think she's kind of a nihilist at this point, and she just wants to see Cersei burn. And so when she tells Danny yeah. be a dragon, yeah. I kind of feel like maybe that's not the best. Ad- like everyone else is telling her, like, no, no, be the ruler that people will want to live peaceably under. Mm-hmm. Don't that's yeah, and that's true, and I, and I think that there. So, but here's the beauty of what the Lady Olena advice does: is it echoes, right? It echoes mm-hmm. enough. So whether it's good advice, whether it's sound advice, whether it's built on revenge, or if it is even maybe an element of Lady Olena saying, hey, look, I've been doing this for a minute. Yeah. Look, I'm old <laughs> uh, and I'm alive at this point. I might All have. All the men giving you advice, ignore them. Right. Or at least, I, and I get the sense too that she's like, look, that's all great. That's all fine and good. However, I interpret it a little bit more like there comes a time when being a dragon is, is the right move. You know, now Lady Olena may just be like, hey, always be the dragon. But I think that there's this element of she plants the seed. I think there's some truth to the idea that it says, look, you can be too patient in some of these cases. You can outthink yourself. Yeah, don't Um, get too cute. You got dragons, use the dragons. And then, so add to it, all right, I've done this slow play strategy. I've lost a good chunk of my ships. Mm -hmm. I have a bunch of soldiers in a place that apparently isn't necessary. Mm -hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, um, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, that, that gives me time to be, to be wooed by a, a weirdo who wants a uh, dragon glass, but like, <laughs> this, so it's like, at some point you're just like, ah, I'm sitting on three dragons, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I can go right now and take out a good chunk of the Lannister army and, you know, and, and cripple them at the same time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why don't I just go do that? And then, so then this scene happens, and outside of of the, the scorpion weapon, um, looks like the right call. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, if right. there wasn't, so she doesn't know that that's there. So there, you know, and and it's not like Tyrion was like, "Don't go out there. There may be this great weapon." Nobody saw that coming. Mm-hmm. So that one is so. So that part is like on on 
that's just kind of the way war works. But you know, in the meantime, she's she's bum rushing the show. Now you can say, okay, you've made your point. Go back. It, like because Tyrion's thing was like, look, yeah, one arrow to you, mm-hmm. and this this whole thing is all for naught. So you know, I think there's a sense of proceed with caution. And, you know, you got to know when to fold them. And at some point you say, look, I've, I've torched a lot of people. I've torched their provisions. I'm out. Well, and I think that let's say if, let's say Tyrion and Varys and Jon Snow have their way, the best way forward is to, for Danny to just show an overwhelming amount of force without actually attacking and for Cersei to kind of say, well, you win. I, I, I really don't have the troops to go to war with you. Here's the city. And I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think, I think Cersei would rather die than get yeah. the throne. And on top of that, I think that there is an element of Tyrion that's thinking like war is horrible. And moreover, I'm going to war against Braun and my brother sure. and the people I grew up with, all of that business. And so I don't think that there's nothing to Danny's accusation to Tyrion. Right? Like it's your sure. family. And then and then you see the consequence of that on the battlefield. It's like Tyrion just having Tyrion observe that battle added a whole new dimension to it. Cause just he was just the look of horror on his face at seeing, you know, people he grew up with, the Lannister army, all of that business burning alive, that brought a, a whole different element to that battle scene. Right. Cause now, so, you know, the, the scene or the, the show ends with, uh, Jamie in, you know, just sinking, fall, yeah. sinking in the water. Right. Yeah, that's right. And but the real but there wasn't the added little bit of cliffhanger was to your point the 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 aftermath of Tyrion witnessing that right because mm-hmm. um, Bronn and Jamie are fighting together and they're fighting together because Tyrion kind of put him in that position. Tyrion kind of true. I mean, I, but I mean, I, in in both directions, they're fighting this battle because Tyrion yeah. has basically you know. Say hey, we're waging war against these guys, and he, but he's you, he united them. Those are that's his brother and like one of his closest friends, if not his closest friend. Yeah, and and they're now fighting together because Tyrion put them in that situation yeah, earlier. He, yeah, right, right. He entered. So he's created the relationship, and he's he's on the outside of that relationship looking in. Who does he have? I mean, he's got Varys, um, but you know that's that's one thing but he doesn't it's one thing Tyrion does not that he did enjoy not only playing the game but you know acquiring friends I mean that's he was yeah. good at that he's one of the like we've talked about that one of the few guys that has genuine relationships with people Podrick is out with Brienne Bran and Jamie are together I mean him and Varys have a nice little little rapport and I think he genuinely likes him but I mean if not for him it could be that Danny and John don't get together I mean they may not even be meeting if it wasn't for Tyrion, because Tyrion's respected and liked by both of those those two characters, so so there's a so now there's a certain ironic loneliness to Tyrion, um, because he's created these friendships and and sort of uh, created the notion of, of allies, not just for power's sake, but almost for camaraderie's sake, and now he's kind of left without. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. to see that, like, so that, so again, it was nice to have another, like, to, to have their return to kind of a Tyrion heavy uh, episode. Yeah, sure, and the last sure. two have kind of been that way, right? Where we've seen him, you know, we we see what it is we we've missed about Tyrion, and so that that the conflict of him watching the battle, uh, it felt very genuine, um, and it does, and it adds a new level of concern. It's like, well, is this going to change his? his approach at all to what's going on. I, I tend to think, I mean, it has to have some no. kind of consequence for him. The progression of the scene was wonderful because you go from Braun kind of laughing at Dickon's name. Right. So you've right. got this kind of, you know, you're Which kind is, of like yeah. in a, in a pretty good mood. Cause you're watching, you know, Braun do his Braun thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, I hear, I hear an army over the hill. Yeah. 
And so there's this ominous army thing. And then like everyone getting set up for the army and you're actually seeing the army come, you know, come down the hill and you just, it's just like, just feels like there's 10,000 of them. And Braun telling Jamie, you better get out of here. Cause they are, these, these guys are going to rout us. Right. And then that, you was, see a, that was an interesting the front moment. line where like the Lannister soldiers are like trembling in fear so you're already feeling like these Dothraki are just going to wreck shop. And then on top of that, once you're sure that the Lannisters have no hope at all, then you see Drogon come over. Right. And that and that note, you know, see and then you get the Braun and Jamie freak out over the dragons and that just the sequence of all of that happens even before you know that Tyrion's going to observe this whole right. event. It's almost like an orchestra where you start out with sort of this wonderful bass line and then you start building on top of it. That <laughs> the whole sequence was masterful. And so here and yeah, and my, you know, from a, if we take a step away from the actual action and just the sort of the our own reception of the show. Um, here I am in season seven, you know, <laughs> sure. warnings abound. Um, I'm buckling up for an inevitable <laughs> bumpy ride, and I don't know. And like most things I read, say seven season seven is is among like one of the low points, but not necessarily low point, but in terms of rankings, right? And you know, again, if you like, let's just take uh, the inevitability of, of of season eight off the table. If you have eight seasons of something, and even if all eight seasons are good, one of them's going to come in number eight. Yeah, right? sure. No, that there's no doubt about that, and You've experienced season five and come out of it, you know, you've survived it. You're like, yeah, actually, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I, I feel pretty good about uh, season five. Uh, Dorn aside, and again, those are the low points. And right now, I'll be honest, I have had less low points in season seven. Ed Sheeran is, not, is, is still better than most Dorn. Um, <laughs> so I think it's interesting because uh, so far in season seven, and it is a truncated season, I feel pretty good. I this, just this, wait till they bring in Huey Lewis in the news <laughs> in season eight. See now, <laughs> what I would love is if it was just the news. Don't take money. And and, and you know Huey's not there. It's just Don't the news, and they are dressed exactly the way they were in the Happy to Be Stuck with You video, and. <laughs> And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what? And like, there's a moment where I'm like, is that the fabulous Thunderbirds? Because like, Huey's not there, so I'm not sure. And then they're like, no, 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 that's that's the news. Um, <laughs> and they're Huey playing. Was and doing they're, the uh, national anthem at a Giants game. And they're <laughs> playing the show up. They're playing the Reigns of Castamere. And <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, I there had. I mean, season seven so far has been kind of a pleasure. I mean, I'll be honest, I've, I've. There's like well, it's a great there. episode for sure, and like I like the said, last episode. There was some pacing issues, maybe, but overall, I felt like like yeah, where it's going. I did when I first watched this. I did think like, all right, it's taking Jamie forever to get from High Garden to King's Landing, which makes sense. It's like you got this these wagons, you got this huge wagon trail. It's just gonna take a while. That's what Game of Thrones does. It'll give you a realistic look at, you know, a character getting from point A to point B and, you know, shenanigans along the road, right? Yeah. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain, featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. 
Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, d- do you even know what it's like out there? No, n- not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne into cell phones, that kind of thing. W- what is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. We try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. But some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them, or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. Mission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is rewarding to itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today.
Yeah, and I and I guess there's a I guess because I you know and maybe and maybe this has something to do too with again the uh, the method in which I'm watching this where I'm watching it, um, not real time with all these different um, you know the anticipatory uh, glee and tension. There's this like all right, on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, so as the show like so there may be a sense I feel the sense of urgency in the show is in some cases giving me the, that same sense of urgency in return. Um, so, and again, maybe because I'm bracing so heavy for disappointment right now, Mm. um, that every good thing is great. Yeah. Well, yeah. And every great thing is, is magic. Cause I, I mean, I walked away from this episode saying I'll hold this up against, uh, the finale of season six and hard home honest yeah and it's it's a great episode i don't know if it's that good but it's it's a wonderful episode and part of what makes this episode wonderful like i think that the entire episode could have been focused on winterfell and i would have been delighted agreed i agree with that yeah when Arya comes over the hill and like looks at winterfell it's just like there's this like she's been through so much and she's a, a totally different person and it was sort of like you. It's one of these things where you can never go home. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. That's that. That's the kind of the feeling you kind of have. Like yeah. you're coming home, but like, but neither the home nor yourself is the same. That's right. That's right. And I thought that the exchange that she had with those, you know, idiot guards was mm-hmm. pretty great. And Sansa, the cool reception of Sansa and her in the crypts. Yeah. I thought it kind of reminded me, like, oh, these two actually have a history. Like, they have a history. They, they hated each other as kids, right? And when they left, they, there was no resolution, and they were also so young when they when they left that there was yeah. no like, like the idea, like they outgrew the need for resolution because they never grew into anything else, right? I mean, with each other, right, right, right. right. So when they come back, it's like, oh, there's a lot that we never really dealt with, but also. I'm kind of over you. Like there, there was that sort of feeling of like, you're important because, because we're Starks, but I don't know you. I well, that. on top of that, like the only thing that Arya knows of Sansa is that Sansa was really wanted to marry Joffrey mm-hmm. and treated Arya like shit, like her yeah. whole life. And the last time she saw Sansa, Sansa was up on stage yep, next to Joffrey while yep. their, their father's head was being chopped off. That's true. Yeah, and then there was some there, and she didn't really stick up for her during the whole uh, wolf sequence. And exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so I thought that they played that really well. It's sort of like, okay, yeah, they're hugging, but neither one of these two has forgotten the history behind this. Well, and the other, and yeah, and I think that was really good because I think there was a, an initial reaction here, like between Heather and I, was like, this seems sort of like an understated uh, reunion, but then. It forces you to remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And I think that that's a really a good way. Again, this goes back to like we talk about. In some cases, there's a need for exposition. In some cases, there's not. And sometimes they they mm-hmm. they mix those two up. And this is definitely one of those where trust the audience to do the exposition in in this exchange. And I think that, that that's how I got it. And it was yeah, yeah. a perfect way to be like, look, you you've done the work. Look at your notes, right? And I think that Sansa's real from Sansa's perspective. I think she's thinking. I really don't know this person. Like, well, yeah, yeah. This is a woman who somehow survived everything, and now she's like holding her own with Brienne. Yeah, that was a great. I think that was so good because it was fun to watch, but it was also really. It was so good for. I love that Littlefinger and Sansa are watching this. Like, well, things are different. Like again, this is that. Okay, this is not the Arya that left. You know. uh, and, and her, like, what she, and again, if we've had this conversation about how Sansa's sort of this disjointed journey, like, is she, is she getting it? Is she figuring it out? Oh, maybe not. Is she, you know, and then she's kind of doing some really good leadership stuff and little fingers pouring on the, the flattery again. But then Arya comes in and it's kind of clear to both of them, oh, she got different. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and like right. it, and intentionally different to the point where she like and if, if Sansa recollecting hey Arya wanted to be a warrior and and she's a warrior she oh ain't chasing cats no more she came back as like Bruce Lee 
exactly and and uh and so there's this yeah so that talk about a complication and a oh maybe i not made as much progress as i gave myself credit for <laughs> well also sansa seems to be keeping littlefinger pretty close like even though mm -hmm. she'll diss him from time to time just to put him in his place she seems here's the hope right and this is because they're, of, they're walking shoulder to shoulder she's confiding in him you know, there's, I don't, you know, could be keep your enemies close, but from Arya's perspective, it's like, why is Littlefinger here, and right. why is he your most trusted advisor? Like, this right, is... yeah. So there's that, there, and 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 because we still don't know what is is Sansa smart in keeping him like the enemies closer, or is she once again susceptible to yeah, yeah. to to being manipulated? And we don't have enough evidence on either side right now. Like, I mean, because yeah, it's, it's it's crazy that we're in season seven and the, the jury's still out. You know? And and so now I'm starting to to not necessarily like her character more, but like her like where we've gone with her because I'm I'm now of the all right. I think this has been intentional. And if it hasn't been, well, then it was a happy accident, as Bob Ross would say, because I'm I'm very compelled because. When we see Jamie's conflict, you know, when especially when he's with Brienne, it's like we kind of know that yeah, he's just a visit with Cersei away from being terrible again. Um, but with with Sansa, I just don't know. Like, I mean, Sansa could, she could just as easily uh, slice Littlefinger's throat as she could betray Jon. Like, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. I'm at right now, and and I don't know if either one of them would be from a position of agency. Yeah, I mean. Like, everything's awesome at Winterfell. Like, everything is... Every, all of these different reunions and meetings and you almost... The gang's getting back together in Winterfell. And the fact that Littlefinger's there just screws everything up, right? Oh, for sure. It's not just a fly in the ointment. It's like... It's like you let a vampire in, in the house, right? Totally. And he's he's cool, but at some point he's going to want some blood. Yeah, yeah. So there's just, it's just a brilliant setup. You know, how do they resolve it? Now, there was one thing that got a lot of fan uh, reaction to that I want to get your take on. And it's like... Drawings? It, Cape drawings? No, no, no. It's Bran. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... Bran. <laughs> Winterfell Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Bran is... Okay, so the response, the, <laughs> the fan response to Bran at this point was, it do have a little bit of like, like because Heather was like, oh, I really love the little Bran story, and I was always like, meh, and now I'm like, where's your Bran now? <laughs> People were like, okay, he's super creepy, <laughs> or he's weird. He just got really weird, or Bran sucks. You know, yeah, that yeah. Was so you're telling me there wasn't array. a big, like, there wasn't a whole, like, oh, thank God Bran is in this one. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I'll i be honest. I do appreciate Bran more. Well, because he's doing something. <laughs> he's not well, just being drug around. <laughs> I'll tell you what. There's there's a multiple reason. <laughs> there's multiple reasons why I appreciate Bran. All right. In this episode in particular, one is... Who is a match for Littlefinger? Mm -hmm. Pretty much Varys and no one else, right? Right. And then Varys sits down with Bran, and Bran has him made, like, within five minutes. You mean Littlefinger sits with him, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, is it, what, what did I say? Varys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Littlefinger sits down with Bran, and within, like, five minutes, Bran has him made. Yeah. It's almost like Littlefinger feels like I have no idea what to do with you. Yeah, and that was, and that's the first time we've, I think we've ever seen that because we've even, I mean, yeah, we've yeah. never. If, Littlefinger at least feigns he's in control, but he because he he does, he's always thinking ahead and he's trying. And the advice he gives well, Sansa before that's right. He's imagine every scenario. Here's a scenario that he <laughs> could have not imagined. Right. Yeah, exactly. Hey, what if a guy who can't move his legs knows everything? <laughs> All right, that's the other. You're like thing I've taken talking. everything into consideration, but I did not take into consideration this <laughs> tree tree man. All right, so there's <laughs> a tree man among us. Here's the other thing about tree man. <laughs> tree man 
doesn't know everything. And that's revealed when he says to Arya, I saw you at the crossroads. I thought you were going to go south. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she yeah. Says, well, so did I. So it's an, it's almost like, okay, we need limits to magic. We need rules for magic. Apparently for Bran, one of the rules is he can kind of see a lot of different situations near and far, but he can't see everything. Right. And, he, well, and also, isn't it like he sees, he's saying he's, he's getting it all kind of at once. Yeah, he's, he's kind of getting it all at once, but there are certain things he doesn't know. And I think that that's kind of important. You know, side note, I did read something yesterday, and and I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but I'm fascinated by it. It says says you don't remember things that happened. Like, you don't remember, you don't, like, you know, you don't remember what happened. You remember the, you remember the last time you remembered it. That's right. And and I, and I think that's an interesting notion of, you know, as we start dealing with time and, and he's kind of talking about how, like, he's, he's remembering things that haven't happened in some regards, right? Well, in addition to that, and, th- and it's totally true. Like you don't re- you don't remember the original event. You remember the, your your last interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. Brand says something that's really important that I think a lot of fans missed, and that is, I remember being Brand Stark, but I also remember so much more. And what I think that fans missed is that really this isn't Brand anymore because memory equals identity. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, to to a large extent, right? You know, people keep calling him Bran. He's going to be Bran socially, right? Sure. But as far as sort of your internal perception of your identity, there's almost an equal sign between memory and identity. And if you remember a thousand years of data, then the 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 memories that made you Bran for the last fourteen years or whatever. They're really insignificant. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's going on there is that when he says, you know, I'm not Lord of Winterfell, I I really think he means like, yeah. No, I'm not. It's not even. I mean, I'm not Bran Stark. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, thank you for dragging me across (laughs) the icy tundra for 100 years, uh, Mira. But, uh, you know, I'll send you, I'll send you a Christmas card, you know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, and that was great and i think to me that was the moment right i mean that's that was the moment where again without the exposition which i you know i think in some cases helps because this is a very complicated concept but you're not really going to explain it too well i think they've explained it about as good as you could in the like i when he's kind of blowing her off i'm like this is not a guy who's under like mm-hmm. i wouldn't say he's under a spell it's just like well, he's 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 like several different amnesiacs coming yeah two that's at right. once that's right right He's i mean a collective this, identity right this is this is a uh, goldie han on, on overboard like a thousand times over <laughs> so, so like everybody there is like you know everybody there is kurt russell trying to uh, trying to explain to her that no 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 these are your children this is yours now and she's like it's interesting know. i think that movies television movies has done a lot with like multiple personality so much so that it's kind of like a trope and, you know, people who actually experience, you know, identity displacement, they don't, it's not really, it's not really how it works. Mm-hmm. But actors can kind of nail the the personality, multiple personality thing, because that's what they do. They pretend to be someone else. Sure. And so as an actor, you can just kind of pretend to be someone else. But what hasn't been done a lot is for someone not to have multiple personalities, but have like this collective identity. And what does that do to someone? Well, it kind of makes them care a little bit less about their immediate family or the the immediate conditions that they're in. And so you're asking Brand to kind of portray something that is really difficult to portray. Um, at the same time, he is a little creepy. Yeah, no, and I and I love the fact that he's and I, the thing is the the creep factor um, makes him way more compelling, you know. I, and I think and and um, because when he tells th- Sansa, he's like, "I saw your wedding; you were beautiful." Yeah, he's that's just not the right thing to say, dude. Well, no, but then also like and, and the other the other guy's like, "Ah, it's a real shame what happened to you that night." Like it just kind of has that vibe to it. Like that was a bummer, huh? And. 
and I and I, I but to me all those moments they they speak such volumes to what he is now and um and he's so like completely like exists outside of uh conventional morality well and this degree. is the god problem right because it's he you know if my theories are correct he's kind of becoming a tree god mm -hmm. well think about what all right so let's imagine the more powerful a deity is the less personal they have to be right if everyone around you is kind of ant-like how much are you really going to care about them yeah so the more the more brand is inhabiting you know a thousand years of three eye raven identity the less he's going to be personable with the people that meant something to him, you know, two years ago or whatever it was. And so I think that the, the more godlike he becomes, the more weird he has to be. Right. He's something other than human, in other words. Right. Well, and and uh, in many ways, um, this is reflected. Or this is this is sort of the manifestation of Tyrion's god critique, the kadunk. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, so there is an element of, of Bran, that if you don't know any better, if you don't know Bran, if you don't know his story, you just observe them. You'd go, well, this guy's obviously there's something wrong. He's a, he's a simpleton. You might you might argue because he doesn't have what we consider emotions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the lack of emotion for us is to be less than human. Um, and in this case, the suggestion is it's more than human. So Tyrion talks about how. I mean, he doesn't say it directly, but my interpretation of it is that the, the gods are as impervious. The, the will of the gods is kind of unknowable, and they may not they may not have a volition that's understandable to humans, and they may not care about humans, and they may not even know what they're doing. Um, right, because they're so remote. Yeah, Mel's god is like, yeah, this god kind of does things that do, don't make sense. And um, the best we can do is interpret it. The best we can do is interpret it or ask for it. And sometimes this God will want a kid murdered. And but maybe that was my fault. You know, that kind of right. thing. So the, the will of the, the, the red God is is totally opaque. And if Bran is becoming something of a tree spirit, he has to become less human. And I think he's that that's what this actor is trying to do. Well, and, and faith suggests that. Even faithful failure may still be part of a bigger thing that's beyond you, right? So, like, well, it's what people of faith tell themselves. To exactly, right? So, so reset and, the uh, reset the ledger, and that's the fascinating thing about Mel, and that's where the crisis of faith is, because Mel still believes that overall the end goal is there, and that she's been it's been revealed, but she does, it seems, recognize that she misinterpreted the Shireen sacrifice, which I think is fascinating, because she could easily say, "You don't understand the bigger picture." I do, and then hope it pays off, right? Or you know, but but instead, she's she's showing that con, and and that's it. And that is that to me is one of the more compelling parts about Melisandre is that, you know, she's she recognizes that something somewhere along the way got screwed up, and she and she's owning that, but she mm -hmm. still has enough faith to suggest that look, I still believe in this thing that's beyond me, but I also know that uh, I, I might not have as much. Uh, yeah. Well, she's seen too over. much stuff to totally, you know, become right. A an agnostic or whatever, but, um, um, all right. So I thought, I, I mean, you're right. Wonderful episode. Everything at Winterfell worked for me. Um, the, you know, the knife, the, the, the dagger coming back into play, little finger kind of being like, finally you see little finger is at a loss. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, before, when, when creepy, like before this creepy episode, means I, creepier. <laughs> yeah, before this episode, I thought, well, no one can touch Littlefinger. Mm -hmm. He is just too good at this game. Well, guess what's going to ruin the game? Someone <laughs> who you can't keep secrets from. Someone who's read ahead. <laughs> Someone who read ahead. That's right. Well, and what's great about it is because they have put boundaries and it, they've done so much with Bran by putting those boundaries on there. So he doesn't become this. Yeah, I know. Ex I'm going to tell you everything that's going on. Little fingers, this, this is his grand plan. This is what's going to happen. If you don't, like, all that could happen. 
but because we get the sense that um, he's still on dial-up as the Raven, um, he's only getting so much information at a time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the other part of this is, so Littlefinger has a chink in his armor now, right? Mm. And so does Drogon. So we've actually right. seen that the scorpion works. Yes. Now we assume that there's more scorpions I would, because this one's gone. Well, yeah, the yeah, exactly. You've got at least they have the blueprints. They they know how to make more if if this one's gone. But um, yeah, I think that you needed something like this to tell us that this isn't just going to be a route. Like Cersei actually has a weapon, right? That will that's going to make this kind of not a not necessarily a fair fight, but it's going to be a fight. You know, this is going to be a challenge because yeah. Danny just looks super. And she's got a you know a couple things have happened that don't work for Danny, right? Sure. Well, and I get I get concerned because um, every time Drogon gets hurt, and it's been a couple times now, I'm like, man, if this dragon ends up dying over the wall, that seems like a problem. What's that? Well, I'm saying if 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 a dead dragon gets oh over the wall, yeah. <laughs> If a dead dra- if if a if the Night King and company come across a dead dragon, we've already seen they got some giants cruising along with them. Now this was a big fan theory because there was a rumor that the wall. Everyone was trying to figure out how the wall was going to come down because you know it's got magic and whatnot. One of the theories was that in baked into the ice of the wall, it's magic, right? Is that what we? Is a cor- is the corpse of an old dragon? Like there's a legend uh, about it. Okay. And one the- fan theory was the Night King is going to like bring him to life as a zombie, and that's how the wall is going to eventually crumble. Interesting. Um, and it may still come true in the books, I suppose. But a lot of people were on the sort of the, gotcha. the dragon inside the wall uh, bandwagon for a while. Interesting. Anyway, so you're not too far off from. A couple of fan theories. Okay. Okay. Um, I I thought it was wonderful the way that they ended the episode because um, armor will just sink you, and I a lot yeah. a lot of these ancient battles. If ever you were if ever you're wearing heavy armor, well, number one, like it's not like a lot of people know how to swim. Um, mm-hmm. Not as many people know how to swim back in the day, but if you're wearing this armor. Uh, and on top of that, you've got a one hand that's made of gold. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to be a strong swimmer. It, it makes a great rudder. I was a little bit like, how deep is this river? Yeah, I know. I know. Like, wow, that's, he's going for a minute. <laughs> John likes to, uh, he likes to hook up with la- ladies in caves. Yeah, caves is his jam. Like he, that's his, that's his kind of comfort zone. Like, if he can get the girl in the cave, there's, it's like Fonzie's bathroom. Right? <laughs> I kept waiting for, uh, for her to be like looking at the cave drawings, and then like he just drops a piece of chalk behind him as they walk out. <laughs> See, they're real. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make it look too nice. We can't make it look too nice. It has to look ancient. Give it a blow. Just give it a blow. Look, look, I'm not a learned man, but here's one thing I know about antiquing cave art. <laughs> uh, yeah, that. What, Ellen, you man, if you had told art? me, if you had told me like two or three episodes ago, it's like, hey, what if I told you that like Davos uh, and and John are gonna pair up and be like a real important part of it? I'd be like, ah, man, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's amazing how the show does it, right? take this person away add this person keep this person oddly enough now this person's with this person you're like how i mean i gotta give him yeah. credit i mean even even if the wheels fall off and i understand the wheels are gonna fall off yeah. and and now i again i'm rooting for the wheels to fall off now i'm gonna be disappointed if the wheels don't fall off enough <laughs> <laughs> i hey i like the callback with uh to stannis like they were walking down the steps um davos and john and John says, "We what do we have? Ten thousand men less." And Davos says, "Fewer." Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. That is really so. Good. He, he corrects John's grammar. You know, here's a guy who couldn't read a couple episodes. Uh, that ago. is so funny. That is great. And I think that I probably missed 
Stannis correcting the, I don't know who it was. Was it Janos Slint or something? Someone up, Alistair Thorne or someone up yeah, the yeah. wall. He corrects their grammar from mm-hmm. less to fewer. Right. And you just, I just love those little moments that's like, I, I, I definitely wanted to caught that the first time around. I definitely didn't catch that the first time around. But on this time around, I thought, yeah, you've got history here. And you don't have to do much. Yeah. Remind me of how cool this journey has been. And I look, cause it mattered enough. It mattered enough in the story, but it also showed a little bit of like Stannis. It's like Stannis has got pet peeves. I like that. <laughs> right. I like the, cause it does, it's amazing how quick, like a little thing like that rounds out a character and makes him not, I mean, it, it made it it, 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 it humanizes him immediately. Cause you're like, oh, yeah, that would bug me too. Or, oh, people like that drive me nuts. Whatever it is, you've now connected yeah. to them in such a simple way that that carries over. And those kinds those kinds of things matter. John says, that's right, it totally humanizes them. And John says afterwards, he's like, what? Like, you didn't quite hear what, what Davos had just said. And Davos is cool enough to say, eh, it doesn't matter, right? Right. Like, like he had to kind of say it just to get it out of his system, <laughs> but he's not going to be a total dick and like correct, you know, be the grammar police for for poor John. Right. Uh, I I thought that was a wonderful. And on top of that, you do get the sense that Davos is like, "Hey, what do you think of Danny?" Huh? Yeah, huh? I love that. I told you the story about how I wish I had another set of fingers. It was recently as last night when I saw Danny, and I'm telling you right now, I've got to jump at the opportunity. Ha, 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 ha.